Hi, this is Pastor Frank at Frank's Bible Study. I just want to welcome you to this episode and podcast. I just hope you've been enjoying the last couple of years of Frank's Bible Study as I become more active and how God is growing me in Scripture and understanding it is a bl- true blessing. Here in 2023, I just want to be able to continue moving forward in studying the Bible to give us a more rooted belief and faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This particular episode is about the Holy Spirit, part one. I think like most of us, when we read our Bible and process the Word, meditate on the Word as we're reading in our devotions, you know, no matter what time of the day it is, it's, it's important that we do read. But I'm reading Scripture about the Holy Spirit. I've often passed by Scripture and never really questioned who the Holy Spirit is. So the problem with questioning The definition sounds like heresy. Traditionally, we believe that the Holy Spirit is settled, and he is the third part of the Trinity, and this is absolutely true and a revelation of Scripture. So I I don't differ in belief on that. I truly believe that 100% my heart, because what Scripture says about the Holy Spirit is just as diverse as who God is. And this is something that we have to, I think, take time and really understand what we believe. Otherwise, we're going to have other people explain it to us and believe for us, which is not what Scripture tells us to do. So we are to be our own scholar. We are to be our own reader of the Holy Scriptures. This is very important when on subject specifically on the Holy Spirit is why it's so important for us to read the Bible for ourselves. So the more I read the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible, the role or office of the Holy Spirit has a different angle in comparison to the Gospels and the Epistles. Why do I say that? Is because you have on one hand, specifically in Genesis, the creative aspect of the world. And then as man develops and who he is and what he's doing or going to do, as we do as mankind, uh, specifically in the role of the church, the Holy Spirit and the effects of what the Holy Spirit does through us as a church, as a person, as a group, regionally, so on and so forth, there's so many different Uh, facets to this, because you have to understand the church did not exist specifically the way it exists in the Gospels and the Epistles, the way it, it did in the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible. Now, as you know, there were no Christians in the Hebrew Bible or Old Testament. Now, I'm not trying to complicate things uh, by saying that, but because there is a history of the of Judaism in the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible, of course we're not going to see Christians because Christ has not come yet. I want to examine the first clear explanation of the Holy Spirit in Genesis and also the following scriptures. For example, the Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. This is in Job chapter 33 verse 4. This is identical to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So the first question that I ask, is the Holy Spirit oxygen, air, breath, or wind? 
So first of all, God made wind, Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, and Amos chapter 4, verse 13. Scriptures describe actual wind and the use of it by man and by God. So am I saying that the Holy Spirit is wind or just oxygen or air? No, that's not what I'm saying. But we have to question exactly when God breathed into Adam, what exactly did he breathe into him? Was it physical or was it spiritual? Now, since God made us, he made us with two aspects to us, spiritual and soulful. And as we also know, when we stop breathing, we stop living. And then there are metaphors and allegories of wind for explanations and comparisons. Uh, We find the sound, not the effects, from heaven as a mighty rushing wind in Acts chapter 2, verse 2. So God uses the wind and the sound of the wind for his sovereign purposes. Now think about what man uses wind for. In the times of Christ, they used uh, winnowing, which they, when they uh, harvested the grain, they would take it to the threshing floor and then they would thresh all the pods or the seeds out of the the wheat or the barley or whatever grain that, that was there. And after they threshed out the wheat or the barley kernels, what was left is the rest of the the plant, which is like the hulls or the stems or the pieces that are adjoined and adjacent to the uh, actual plant itself, and it's dried. They would have to get like a pitchfork, and they would throw it up in the air, and the wind would carry off the what they call the chaff or the or the pieces of the plant, the dried pieces, and what would fall to the ground would be the the kernels of wheat or barley. Israel, being an agricultural community or society understood this very very clearly. So just as I'm describing it to you, this is one way that that man would use wind. The other way would be also to um, make a sail on a boat and the wind would would be caught in the sail and would move the, the vessel to the direction that the rudder would be positioned. So I'm just using general purposes of what I think man would use the wind for. So we're not talking, so as, as we are talking about this and, and, and just dissecting this, you can see that that's not what what God is talking about here. But yet there's still an element to it. So just as in Acts chapter 2, verse 2, God uses the sound of a mighty rushing wind, but there's no wind. And just as in Genesis, he created a wind and it basically blew over the earth and the waters started to go down and the earth started to dry. So the Holy Spirit is much more than just oxygen. Life is God's breath, which also describes what the Holy Scriptures are. We read in John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So I ask you to process divine fixed principle. In Job chapter 32, verse 8, it reads, But there is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. So in this principle... In Scripture, it tells us that the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding, so it's not just wind or air or oxygen. Now we're talking about what God breathes, which, as we understand, is God's Word. I just read you John 1.1. 1, 1. So here it's telling us, but there is a spirit in man, um, e.g. Adam, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. So just simply wind and oxygen will not give us understanding. But in order for me to even say these words, it takes 
oxygen. It takes air. It takes something inside of me to inhale and to exhale, which is breathe. The truths we read in Scripture cause us to think of our relationship with God. These truths are fixed principles on how we interpret Scripture. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which is why He cannot lie, e.g., another fixed principle. Don't think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till it is all fulfilled. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 18. So if the law and the prophets are the words of God, which it is, Jesus didn't come to destroy it or to change it or to embellish it or to in any way, shape or form add or take away from it. He said he came to fulfill it. Again, this is another fixed truth of God's. Then Jesus makes this statement. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until it is fulfilled. Jesus is talking about the Torah. If you want to call it a change, the only thing that changes is that it's fulfilled. Prophesied and then fulfilled. So the word of God is even more durable than heaven and earth. Fixed truth principles of God. This is very important to understand. These principles don't change. But you must continue in the thing which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 17. Here again, the Word of God is a fixed position. Now I want to kind of go through these scriptures here in 2 Timothy just a little bit, only because it's worth going through. The point has to be made. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. So let's stop there. Now here, the Scriptures are conveying something, I think, that we really pass by. Who is he talking to? He's talking to Jews. Now I don't know if you know this or not, but Jews at the time of Christ, it was very common for their children to go to school and be taught the Torah, the Nevi'im and the Ketuvim, which is basically the law, the prophets, and the writings. By 12 years old, most male children were able to write out the Torah by hand, and if not, memorize it. So here it's saying not to change anything, but it says you must continue in what you know, in the things that you have learned, and be assured Now, this is where our faith comes in. He says, be assured that what you have learned and what has been written and what you know and are continuing to do, be assured that this is the right course. So it goes on to say, knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which I was referring to earlier, which are able to make you wise for salvation. Let's stop there. Now, wisdom, I want to differentiate between wisdom and knowledge. The, the scriptures are, is the knowledge of God. 
the differentiation of the knowledge of God in application to our lives is wisdom. So we gain wisdom from knowledge. So knowing the Word of God gives us wisdom in our decision-making. Now, to decide Jesus Christ is actually wisdom based on scriptures for our salvation through faith. Now, even for the Gentile and the Jew at that time, they would have to believe that Jesus by faith is the Messiah, that he is Jesus, the Christ. And then it goes on to say that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, inspiration here, in other translations, it says God breathed. In other words, that God breathed scripture. Again, does God use a physical breath or does he use a spiritual breath? Since God is spirit, I'm going to say spiritual breath. When God was speaking to Moses through the burning bush, Moses understood exactly what he was saying. But does it matter what language that God spoke in? The fact is, is that God spoke to him and he understood. And that word changed Moses from a person who was running from his problems and running from persecution, running from being judged for killing a man, finding sanctuary in the wilderness for about 40 years, and then God speaks to him and all of a sudden he's on a mission. It That shows you that when God speaks to us, we're either going to believe it in faith or not, because God had told Moses many things. And then Moses had dialogued with God and saying, well, how can this be? How can this be? And this and that. And then God told him how it was going to happen. He says, just do it and I will be with you. So the same faith that we have in Jesus Christ now is the same faith they had in God, which we believe that Jesus is the third part of the Trinity. So it is no different than us to have faith the way that Moses had faith in what he told him. We also have faith in what we are reading here now in Scripture. So our faith is in Jesus Christ. Verse 16 reads, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Now, this, what exactly is doctrine? Theopneustos, God breathed, and is profitable for doctrine. So let me stop there. Profitable means that it is applicable in goodness for all areas of life. The doctrine part is basically the attributes and the persona of God, goodness, merciful, love. Basically, uh, Galatians and chapter 5, it speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. We get to know who God is by Scripture, by what God breathed. So it's profitable for doctrine. In other words, how God, who God is and how we are to be like him in, in his righteousness, in Christ. Well, for us, it'd be in Jesus Christ's righteousness. It goes on to say, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So there is repro- reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. So in all three categories, they have specific definitions and applications. Reproof or rebuke. This helps This helps to differentiate between sin and God's righteousness. So this exposes our sin. This is where the correcting comes in. Because anytime we're corrected, the doctrine will tell us very straightforward. The the word of God is described uh, allegorically as a two-edged sword. 
cutting right down to the marrow. So this is why it is very profitable for training in righteousness, because the righteousness of God is what is how we know these things in comparison to. So the bottom line is that we learn truth from Scripture, what is wrong and right morally, and how to apply it. And then it goes on to say that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So this is an excellent and godly purification and filtering system for how we are to present ourselves to the world. And here again, the Word of God is a fixed position. If there is more to be known about this physical world, the spiritual world, or any other relationships, God would have made it clear and known. The tempter, the devil, or Lucifer knew good and evil, but Adam and Eve did not, and tempted them with something they didn't know. Eve desired to know more to make her wise. But the source of this information did not work out for him, and likewise did not work out for man. We have had the knowledge of good and evil for 6,000 years, and have created a cruel, brutal, divided and murderous sinful world. To desire more than the word and wisdom of God is asking beyond what is good. This is why man has an ungodly and an unhealthy fascination for desiring knowledge about the Luciferian realm. In Matthew chapter 4, the devil tempts Jesus, and Jesus does not dialogue but quotes fixed principles of Scripture of what God breathed as in written Scripture, Deuteronomy 8.3, Psalms 91, verses 11-12, through 12, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, and Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20, is what Jesus quoted. Most of the scriptures that Jesus quoted were from the Torah, and two scriptures were from the writings, or Ketuvim. I'm referring to Psalms. So if Jesus spoke to Satan outside of the written word of God, he would have created a personal Torah, which was the evil, methodic reason to tempt Jesus as it beguiled Adam and Eve. So when when the serpent uh, spoke to Eve, she started to create her own reasoning, and her own reasons based on what she was dialoguing with the serpent. So Jesus, following his own will, would have stepped out from God's instruction and will. So I believe this is relating to the panoramic history of redemption and atonement. We find in Scripture Jesus' own words. Jesus said, Father, if it is your will, Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So this tells us that Jesus is operating in the spoken word of God from Scripture, which was the Hebrew Bible or Old Testament at that time. A lot of people don't don't know that. They think that the New Testament existed in Jesus' time. The New Testament was actually happening in real time, so how could have it existed So the only Bible they had at the time was the Hebrew Bible. So when you put this in perspective, what gives us the authority to be any different? The scriptures are fixed truths of God's word. What scriptures and fixed truths of God's word are we operating from? So when people say they heard from God, the Holy Spirit told them, or when under the anointing, what are they exactly saying? So I have some questions. 
How can you tell a false prophet? How can you tell a false teacher? The false prophet does not guard the integrity and true wisdom of the word of God. Prophecies don't come to pass. And this creates confusion, and they contradict themselves. False prophets speak redirection rather than the direction of God. We know how to identify a false prophet by the written scripture of God, not by emotions, feelings, or hair standing up on the back of your neck or arms. To identify a false teacher is very similar, but the epistle of James chapter 3 explains why. A teacher will dissect the word of God with a microscope, and this can easily derail or misguide people, and not just a person. A teacher must use scripture to interpret scripture. James speaks of something small guiding something large. And this is referring to incorrect doctrine to misguide a group of people. Now, if you ever wondered why apostles are first when it's named in the fivefold ministry, is because the twelve apostles that were with Jesus, minus Judas, went on to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So they were eyewitnesses, they were disciples of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So their words of him being with him three and a half to three three to three and a half years, constantly living with him, praying with him, eating with him, healing with him, listening to him preach and teach for three and a half years straight uninterrupted, gave them the authority of Scripture because they're the ones who personally interacted with Jesus Christ. So it mentions apostles first. Why? Is because the apostles were witnessing what God had breathed in living form. Jesus, a manifestation of what God breathed, a fulfillment of Scripture. You have to get this. Now, the reasons why the apostles are first is so that they will be able to point out anything else that is false. So what comes after that? You go, you have apostles, you have prophets, so you wouldn't apostles would know exactly what a false prophet is. They would know what a false teacher is, a false pastor, a false evangelist, and so on. Just as each tribe that were coming out of Egypt witnessed God's miraculous power, they firsthand witnessed his salvation, the atonement, and all the things that he revealed himself to his children in the Exodus and forward. How he revealed himself to Moses, which... It stands to reason why Moses was the bearer of God's word and wrote it down. It's the same concept here in the epistles. So the apostles are the ones that in the gospels and the synoptic gospels and the epistles that they are using their first-hand witness experience of what God had breathed manifested in Jesus Christ. I think you can connect that. It's not hard to. Now I'm going to end on this note, and I'll pick up in part two. The Holy Spirit used diverse 
languages at Pentecost or Shavuot, which the diverse languages primarily is a judgment at Babel in Genesis chapter 11. But is now a blessing to preach and evangelize to Gentiles the unchanging word of God. The words do not change, but the language used to translate was miraculous. Go back and read the first five chapters of the book of Acts. So in conclusion, look back at what we just studied, look up the scriptures, meditate on these truths, because I still believe we have a long ways to go when it comes to the subject of the Holy Spirit. But these are understood truths, even by some lay people. Uh, they know these things. And for the learned and for the pastors, or for whoever, and Bible teachers, whoever is listening to this, should take note. Because I'm going to get into some cultural aspects of what we give the Holy Spirit credit for. And whether or not it's scripture or not. All right, this is Pastor Frank at Frank's Bible Study. Have a blessed day. Amen.